Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin there. I'm Jake Hatch over here. Christian behind the glass producing for us today. Now, uh, Michelle, we have had an absolutely, and I, I, I'm saying epic because it's been an epic winter here along the Wasatch Front. We've gotten so much snow. And I know there are a lot of people that are kind of like done with the snow. But guess what? Spring is coming. Because you, know you know why I know that? Because spring football is here, folks. The funny thing, the funny thing to me, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. Do you know that Hawaii is like halfway through their spring ball already? Oh, serious! They started like the beginning of, Jan- of being in February. Granted, when you're in Hawaii, it's yeah, like, every it, literally every day it's like eighty degrees, spring or summer, or, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, the but, nicer weather. But they actually were the first, if I'm not mistaken, of all the college football programs to start spring ball, and so they are uh, they're well underway. But BYU starts on Monday now. Utah starts on the 21st. I believe Utah State also on the 21st. All of these programs have storylines around them, but because BYU is starting a couple weeks before them, I'd say, okay, well, let's get a head start on that. So we had a great opportunity to catch up uh, with Aaron Roderick yesterday with DJ and PK. And the, the thing with the BYU offense is you're going to hear him talk about it, is turnover quarterback, running back, wide receiver, offensive line on offense. Yeah. Like, and this is a unit, if you kind of look back at the last two, three years, even going back to as many as four years, has had a lot of continuity on it. Yeah. A lot of the offensive linemen, quarterbacks, running backs were all young guys who kind of grew up together. This is going to be an interesting thing because now, guess what? You've had that great run of continuity, but now you also increased your level of competition because mm-hmm. you're jumping into the Big 12. So uh, before we get to this, I want to ask you one thing. Similar to Utah, do you feel like BYU, from your outsider perspective, is in a position where you think they can go in and be similar to what Utah did in their first couple of years in the, in the Big 12, where they can be a program that can shock some folks just on on any given week. Not, I'm not saying contend. I'm just saying get out there and be far more competitive than maybe some people might consider they would be. I think there's always a chance for that, especially when you're the new kid in, in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could see that potentially, you know, for the other three schools coming in as well. When they're an unknown when you don't really know mm-hmm. who they are, what their identity is. I I think especially some of the lower tiered teams in the conference, yeah. though those four teams might be able to, yeah, get get a win or two that maybe nobody was expecting them to, just because there's so much unknown there. Yeah. And then I think kind of what 
part of what we saw happen with Utah in in that run is that first year nobody knew what what to expect from them, what to deal or what their deal would be. So they caught a lot of people by surprise. People figured it out. And that's when the depth issues kind of started. And so I can, sevens, yeah. I, I can kind of see that playing out for everybody that's coming in new uh, as well. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if maybe like the first year or two, yeah, you kind of surprise some people. Uh, and then it kind of settles and or slumps a little bit. And then there's the, the kind of push forward <laughs> so to speak well it'll be interesting well let's you hear now from aaron roderick like i said he joined dj and pk yesterday some interesting thoughts on this revamped offense and what he what he foresees them doing as they get ready for the big 12 here you go so you got spring ball starting and obviously at byu as in most places a lot of eyes on the quarterback and you get two transfers coming in uh and we all saw literally saw Keaton Slovis take the world by storm as a freshman at SC. It was just incredible. To me, I remember sitting in the press box watching, who is this kid? He's, his accuracy was like a collegiate Joe Montana. And the numbers yeah. have slipped. We all know all about that in the last few years. Uh, what makes you think that he's going to rebound and play and show the promise that he did as a freshman and not only show it, but actually be better than that? Well, there's a few reasons. The first one is, you know, I just view it as uh, our our job as coaches is, you know, we've seen him at his best, and then it, it's our job to get him back to that level or higher. And I think I I welcome that challenge. I'm excited about that. And so um, I think that we, we've all seen what he can do. So let's get him back there. That's the first thing. And then secondly, we you know we watched every single game he's played in in college uh, in detail. And it wasn't just me. I had, I have assistant coaches that watched it with me and we got in depth. And then we also, you know, make a lot, we do a lot of homework about the circumstances surrounding the situation as well. And, you know, the COVID year, he played really good football. He was, he, he was playing as well or better than he did as a freshman, but, they only got five games and you can say those games didn't count or whatever, but there was a scoreboard and there was a winner and a loser and he played really well. I don't know if you guys remember, he played well in Salt Lake that year against the Utes and had some good games then. And then that last year there was coaching drama going on. He had an injury that he was dealing with. He was trying to play through an injury. He wasn't healthy, wasn't as effective with the injury and then eventually ended up not being able to play at all. And they, they made the coaching change, and then Jackson Dart got his chance. And there was just a lot of stuff going on there that I don't think is a really clear reflection of how good of a player he is. And then uh, then he goes to Pittsburgh thinking he's going to play for uh, Coach Whipple, who's one of the best coordinators in the country, and had just had this awesome season with Kenny Pickett. And he had the Blitnikoff Award-winning receiver, and he gets there, and the OC leaves, and the receiver goes to USC. And all of a sudden it was not – exactly what he had signed up for all of a sudden they're in a new offense now where he's under center all the time and I just don't think it was a uh accurate reflection of how good of a player he still is and so um we're we're super excited about him he's an awesome kid and a really good passer so we should all assume from that a lot of shotgun this year right yeah yeah we'll be in the gun a lot I mean, we, we are in the gun most of the time anyway but yeah Absolutely. That's that's what he does. We've seen many examples of kids that are in perceived lower leagues 
and then they transfer up and really kick butt. The Devils had a running back from Wyoming, and he was really good for them last season, an opportunity to now play in the NFL. you got a kid from Vegas who's eye-popping. Uh, as far as his size and all that and the numbers that he put up for the Rebels. And he's coming to your place, and I don't know how you intend to use him and how it's going to pan out, but I'm expecting him, given his past, to be quality. Yeah, yeah, Aiden Aiden rushed for over 1,000 yards last year at UNLV. Um, That's another one where we knew him well, though. It wasn't just – we're not just taking a chance on a guy from a so-called lower level. Um, He – we recruited him. He's from Louisville, and we recruited him out of high school. And he actually took a visit to BYU, and we so we got to know him and his family really well. And then we were we were disappointed to lose him. He went to Louisville, and then the, there was a coaching change there, and he followed a, he followed a coach. I can't remember if it was his position coach or the coach that recruited him. He followed him to UNLV, and then that uh, that coaching staff got fired. And so otherwise, he would have stayed at UNLV. He was he was happy there and doing well, but. Uh, the coaches that he went to play for got fired. And so um, then we reached out to him and, but because we already had that relationship with him in high school and already knew a lot about how good of a player he was. And we'd, we'd been out there to see him, see him practice, see him play, seen tons of high school film on him. And then when he, you know, he rushes for a thousand yards at UNLV last year, it's like, okay, this guy's a proven, proven player. And you're right. He's a big, big guy. Uh, He's, thought Chris Brooks was big. This guy's even bigger. He's, he's a big, big, good-looking kid. I'm fascinated by the amount of homework that goes into something like that paying off. Because it could just be the needle in the haystack yeah. and this one time it all worked out. No. But I have this image of you getting double booked with some other coach, I can't even remember who, when we were down there for a BYU media day. And you said... I'll let him go. I got stuff to do. And you went over on the couch, and we interviewed him for 15, and with commercial breaks, you know, you had to wait like 20 minutes. And all I remember is every time I looked over, you were tapping away at your phone. And I'm like, and I don't even know the NCAA rules and who you can talk to, but whether it was a kid or whether it was parents or whether it's high school coaches or whether it's alumni telling you about somebody you ought to go check out, I remember thinking, that was nonstop. How many hours yeah. of every day does he have to watch film? And how many hours of every day? Because you're watching every Slovis game. And how many hours of every day are you texting with somebody who's involved in the recruiting process? Can you even estimate the hours a day, a week that you put in so you get this payoff of a kid going to his third school and he's had multiple coaches fired and you liked them all <laughs> and you liked them all along? You build a relationship with all those texting moments. Yeah, it never ends. It it really doesn't end. In fact, you have to, as a coach, you have to like try to find moments to just try to be present, you know, with your family or whatever. Because if you don't, it will literally never end. It's um, it's a, you know, we talk about kids and their screen time on their phones. Someone should check college football coaches and screen time on their phones because you're. It's just nonstop. The communication with recruits, with high school coaches, with guys that are training these kids and then the other thing now is there's so much film that's accessible on players uh where it used to have to be to go to see them practice and maybe you get to see them play in a game once or something in person but now every bit of film is available right on your phone and so there's a good chance i was sitting there watching video of players that i'd need to evaluate on my phone while you you know while you saw me there um that's something that just never ends now for college coaches it's all the time and uh, if you don't do it, you're getting behind. And then the portal has made it even more crazy. So because that stuff is kind of going on in different windows of time, 
and uh, it's it's pretty wild. But you got to adapt or die. That's just how it is. You got to keep up or get left behind. Okay, but A Rod, die though isn't that pretty strong? <laughs> it is strong, but that's pretty much what it feels like for us. So. Career death, not not personal death. Okay. But when we I see know, football little, teams go two and ten, right? You know, that was a little strong. But I mean, it, I just you know, there's a lot to it though. We there's a lot of uh, it feels like life and death. You know, those Saturday afternoons are pretty. There's a, and then if you um, could see some of the emails and direct messages I get from fans, then you'd know that. Um, and maybe maybe it is life or death for a lot of people. Oh, it's bigger than that. Don't downplay it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can remember when you're at Utah. This one guy used to send me every week. He's just blasting you about something. Yeah. I mean, he was consistent. I could count on it, man. I don't know yeah. what he thought I was going to do, but he would send it to me every freaking week, just hammering you inside and out. Uh, and I'd read them and just – and you guys could win, and he still was all over you. But uh, Oh, yeah. That's, that's, I guess that's better than, yeah, it's better than apathy. And we know what type of offense you run. You talk about being in the shotgun. And, and Slovis here obviously comes to BYU looking that this is his chance to really, really solidify his opportunity to go to the NFL, and that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we all know it. We all understand it. This is sort of a business relationship, and all of us are comfortable with it. And he's going to be put in positions if he should be the starter to be able to throw the ball. Now, we know uh, you've got uh, Epps got injured, but he had a breakout season. You've lost a couple guys, and Nakua was a superstar. you got a tight end coming out of Arizona who's really good. So could you just run us through who's going to be on the receiving ends of those passes that the quarterbacks throw? Yeah, so uh, Chase Roberts, Keanu Hill, and Cody Epps would be our three most experienced receivers coming back. Uh, all three of those guys are good players that had good years last year. And I think all three of them are capable of, you know, taking a big step forward this year. They, they were all young, um, sort of up and coming, and I think you're going to see each one of them improve a lot this year. Um, and then I, we're really – I'm so excited to have Isaac Rex back. Um, it was – you know, I have so much respect for him. He he had a compound fracture of his leg in the last season, last game of the season two years ago at USC. I mean, it was the same injury that Alex Smith had. Basically, I don't know. If, I mean, it was that it was that serious. And um, he had he was in surgery by the time we were on the plane to fly home. And uh, they put a bunch of metal and rods in his leg and all this stuff. And he, I didn't even expect him to play last season. And the guy played twelve games. He wasn't even close to 100%. And a lot of guys nowadays would not want to go out there and play not 100%. But he loves to play. He wasn't himself. He didn't have as good of a year as he's capable of. But he still had six touchdowns for us and blocked his butt off. And uh, he got all that metal out of his leg after the season. And he's already running so much better than he did at any point last year. I'm just... He's looking so good in our workouts, and he's still got a lot of time left to really get back. And uh, you know, he's a he's a big target. He's a great got great ball skills, and I'm super excited for him this year. Partly because of what he's been through, but also because of what he brings to our offense. He's a he's a great weapon, and so and then we have a kid named Ethan Erickson who's a young tight end as well, who's also about six six, like Isaac. They're both about the same size, and he can really run and make plays as well. So. 
Uh, and then we've got some young guys too coming up that are that I'm excited about, and we're hoping to add another receiver or two as well after spring ball. So um, that'll be be fun to see who who emerges. BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick joining us. So we've we've covered quarterback, running back, tight end, and wide receiver, and our producer Jake Hatch, former superstar offensive lineman at Mountain View High School, is like. You radio guys are morons. When are you going to ask about the O-line? Because nothing goes anywhere if the O-line sucks. And if the O-line is great, we could run DJ and PK out there and pick up five yeah. yards. So, on behalf of Jake Hatch and former offensive lineman everywhere, how good is the O-line going to be? Where are the biggest questions? Because there's always a transition. That's probably the biggest improvement on our offense is O-line. We're just we're so much more athletic this year than we were last year. Um and we're, you know, we're longer and more athletic. I just, I just know that, that the pool of guys we're working with right now are just super athletes. And, um, and you know, we're a, we're a team that majors in the wide zone run scheme. That's our sort of starting point play. And that's what you need is guys that can move their feet to do that. And then we like to throw the ball down the field. So you need guys that can pass protect and stay in front of, you know, fast pass rushers. And um, the the guys we have are, uh, just doing a really good job, and I'm, I feel really confident that we we are going to improve at O line this year. And that the I mean, I thought our guys played well last year. It's not that they didn't. We we ran the heck out of the ball, and we were we didn't give up very many sacks. The O line was good, but we're going to be even better this year. And I feel really confident saying that. There you go, Aaron Roderick. And let me be very clear about one thing, folks. I was never a superstar offensive lineman. I did play at Mountain View High School in Orm, Utah, but I was never a superstar offensive lineman. <laughs> DJ's trying to make something out of. I was just. I, I remember looking at him. I'm like, what are you saying here? Yes, I play offensive line. I have a. I have a love for the big boys up up front, but I am far from a superstar. Let's put it that way. <laughs> False advertising. So much false advertising going on. What are we doing? It's okay. Um, there was one interesting thing. Uh, A-Rod did say he plans on bringing one one to two wide receivers a- after spring. And that's one thing I've had multiple people actually asking me about. That. Jake, BYU, they lost Puka. They lost Gunner. Like, they need to have a wide receiver. Well, it was good to hear A-Rod, a guy who will absolutely be in the discussions for stuff like that admit yeah we need to bring in a guy or two via the transfer portal but i don't think that's i don't think that's should be news to necessarily anybody like you want to go and find guys that can make a difference and with that transfer portal looming out there it's going to open up is it may is may 1st to the 15th is when it opens up the second time it's a big opportunity if guys are dissatisfied with where they're at similar to what he talked about with keaton slovis they went to Slovis, and Slovis had done his homework and said, you've had quarterbacks that threw 30 touchdowns, single-digit interceptions, and ha- play in a very pro-friendly offense. That's what I want. That's why I'm coming to BYU. That's got to be hopefully be the same type of a thing that a wide receiver that at X program is not happy with their situation. They look at what BYU has and says, hey, that's attractive to me. But that should be the same thing for, for a program like Utah too, though. Yeah. yeah, no, I absolutely expect Utah to hit the transfer portal for a few pieces after spring ball just to kind of shore up, you know, what it is they feel like they need and, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not 100% sure what exactly that is at the moment. Well, spring's going to yield a lot but, of that. But yeah. spring spring should make that picture a little clearer once 
everybody kind of knows where they stands. The guys that need to transfer out will transfer out. Yeah. And then, of course, Utah will go to work bringing in a few pieces just to kind of shore up and make sure that they're good to go. Hey, and by the way, can I give just a shout out to Utah? They're actually letting you watch practice this year, Michelle, at least a little bit. Tiny, tiny bits. <laughs> I think like one 20 minute session per. Hey. It's better than zero. I, I'm i not complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining at all. To be honest, that like 15 minutes that we got at the yeah. Rose Bowl, I actually picked something up that was very useful. <laughs> sure. And uh, the BYU, I think, are going to give us two times a week. and It's about 20 minutes each. And that, okay, great. But you can pick up little tidbits. You that's, can. That's the nice part. Little, little things that stick in the back of your mind. So. And let's be real, coaches. It's spring ball. Come on. <laughs> this is this ain't game planning. This is, this is it's all drills. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Anyways, we'll come back on the other side. Uh, we have a bunch of local guys who have measured in at the, at, at the Combine. We have their heights, weights, all that type of stuff. We'll dig into some of that. We also need to talk a little more about some of the other topics we have not had a chance to touch on quite yet. We'll get to all that coming up next. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought... There are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Saturday Show, right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle and Jake along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. Hope you all are doing well, whatever you're doing on this Saturday. Uh, by the way, it's like a bluebird day outside right now. Like I Driving in, it was like, okay, there's there's some clouds out there, but it's a pretty nice day, all things considered, outside. Was it? It was pretty cloudy when I rolled in. Okay. Well, I just, even with the clouds during the winter, as long as it's not... Uh, hazy, like we don't yeah. have inver- I'm totally okay with it, and that's kind of what this winter we've actually gotten pretty lucky, all things considered, inversion wise. When there's a lot of snow, less inversion, so I guess that's the trade off we take. <laughs> One of those, yeah. Well, eh. I mean, as long as it keeps snowing, yeah. yeah if well, there's a lot of snow on the ground and, and it's not still snowing, little, yeah. then then yeah, then it's gonna then be it's a hazy. problem, it's gonna be gross. All right, so Michelle, the NFL combine is ongoing here, and we have uh, the measurements coming in for some of the local guys of note here, and I wanted to run run them down with you real quick. Uh, let's start off with Puka Nakua here at BYU. He's the first one I saw this morning. I uh, checked it at six foot two, about what I expected height wise. That sounds about right. Uh, weight two hundred and one pounds, yeah. and uh, they do arm length and hand size. I got this from the Draft Network. Arm length thirty one and a half inches, nine and a half inch, nine and a half inch hands. Which hand size for a wide receiver is completely different conversation than it is for a quarterback, but that's still not those aren't the biggest hands out there in the world. No, uh, that part was a little surprising. I, I would have expected better, especially with not his, better hands, bigger hands. <laughs> better hands because Puka's got a, in, yeah, he's got pretty he's good, got hands. good hands. Yeah. It's just the the, the like, yeah yeah bigger mitts to catch yes. the ball with. Yes, yeah, bit of a surprise. Um, now Jaron Hall uh, checking in right at six foot, and I I've, I've stood next to both of these guys. The, neither of these surprised me. Yeah, I was going to say, I've only stood next to Puka. Yeah. And that checks out. I haven't stood next to Jaron, but I mean, six foot doesn't surprise me. That look, that looks about right. Well, let's put it this way. On a, on a, okay, if you, if you measure me on a day to day basis, Michelle, I'm either 5'11 and 7'8 or right at six foot. 
Legitimately. <laughs> I, that, my wife has done this. She, 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 like, you're 5'11 and 7 eighths. And then the next day she's like, let's measure it. I was six foot on the dot. I don't know why it changes, but that's right where I sit. Huh. I've stood right next to Jaron. We see eye to eye. Yeah. We're the same height. Not much difference. Now he checks in at 207 pounds. Actually, a little lighter than I thought Jaron would yeah, check in. Yeah. He seems a little thicker than that to me. But... He'll play thicker than that. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. A lot of these guys have probably been training so much. They may have cut some of the Drops body fat. Yeah. And Jaron, in my opinion, and even if an NFL team, they'll take him, they'll tell him, we want you at 215, 220. Yeah. Which is more what I was expecting. Yeah. But, yeah, these these guys do sometimes slim down a little bit more than how they would actually play. Now, his hand size, arm length doesn't really matter for a quarterback. It's all, you got to be able to deliver the football, whatever. Hand size, though, for Jaron, nine and a half inches. So not the biggest hands out there. Actually, the biggest hands belong to, I believe, is Will Levis, at least that I saw. Ten and five-eighths inches. It's just, <laughs> those are some big mitts. Yeah, so pretty big. So Jaron, not the sm- not the biggest hands, but also not the smallest. So decent size there. Uh, for comparison's sake, though, Tanner McKee obviously has some local uh, connections. Obviously a guy that BYU recruited, played, played at Stanford against both Utah and BYU. He checked in at 6'6", not surprised. He's tall. Trust me. Anybody who's seen him, he's very tall. 231 pounds. But here's the concerning one, Michelle. His hand size, at 6'6", he's a full half foot taller than Jaron Hall. Nine and three-eighths inches. He's got smaller hands than Jaron Hall does. (laughs) He's got smaller hands than Puka Nakua. That's funny. Like that that was mind boggling. He has to very me. dainty hands. It's fine. <laughs> Apparently so. Now, here's one for you. Dalton Kincaid. We have his numbers finally. Okay. This the first one's my the most surprising number to me is the first one. Six three and a half. I actually thought he was gonna check in at six four. Yeah. I mean it's not too far off from no. that. But yeah, no, I I thought he was like a solid six four. Six three and a half though, close enough. Sure. Wait, 246. That's a good number for him, especially considering. So Michael Mayer uh, from Notre Dame, mm-hmm. everybody calls him Baby Gronk. He checked in at 6'4", 249 pounds, like s- much smaller than I thought he was going to check in. Yeah. At. Uh, so, yeah. So Dalton, good weight. Now, the other thing, the other number I really like about Dalton Kincaid here, 30, well, two of them, 32 and 5'8 on his arm length. So he's got a nice wingspan. Mm-hmm. Ten and a quarter on hand size. Ten and a quarter. Ten and one fourth inches on on his hands. So he got so he got some big mitts. No wonder why he's only recorded two <laughs> drops in his entire career. Touches his hands. Homeboy's catching it. Unless it's a bad pass. Good point. Yes. But, but just, those are honestly those are some pretty good measurements for those three individuals. The local guys. Yeah. Puka, Jaron, and um, uh, Dalton. We're going to find out uh, Blake Freeland, Braden Daniels will be checking in. I have not seen Tavion Thomas's numbers yet. So What I'll, about Clark Phillips? Clark? I'll have to look for that. Let me check. I'll check on that while we're talking here. But I, I wanted to ask you a question. While I, while I hunt for that, uh, with regards to Kincaid, I'm of the opinion we had uh, – uh, who was it um, – uh, Cam Miller uh, from okay. Pro Football Network on with us earlier this week with DJ and PK. And he said the ceiling for Dalton Kincaid is tight end one. He says he's competing with Luke Musgrave from Oregon State and Michael Mayer, who I already mentioned. Those are kind of the top three guys. And all three of them, in theory, could be first-round picks. What do you think it's going to take for Kincaid to essentially surpass Musgrave, who did? Musgrave checked in at 6'6", 253. Like, he, he, he big. He had 10 and 3 8 uh, inches on his hand size. Michael Mayer, 6'4 and a half, 249, 9.5 inch hands. What, what's it going to take for Dalton to climb over those two to make himself as the top tight end this year? 
I, I think good interviews, which it sounds like he absolutely nailed those. People walked away so impressed with him. As uh, they and, should. And yeah, it's kind of one of those, if you've ever had the opportunity to sit and talk to him for a minute, like I just such a nice guy, such a nice kid, uh, at, you know, I, I think, and I'm sure this probably came up, the stuff about with Alabama. He's talked mm-hmm. a lot about how disappointing it is that any kind of loyalty in college football has gone out the window. Has kind of a very old school mindset in in that way. Uh, so I, I think those are kinds of things that are going to be really impressive to an NFL team uh, and that could potentially give them the edge. Obviously, I think if he is able to go on pro day and he did say that he plans on it. Yeah. You know, putting up some good numbers on pro day also will go a long way. But I mean, the fact of the matter is people have circled back around and actually started looking at his tape and watching and looking at his stats and doing a, ha, huh, <laughs> I think we miscalculated on this one to start out. He should have been much higher from the get go. Well, and see, and that's the thing about this is, I don't know why they did that though. Is that does that make sense? Like, yeah. w- w- I want to know what they were thinking to have over kind of overlooked him in the beginning. I don't know if it's the other two just like got way more press, and Maybe, so yeah. it was just like okay, whatever. The fact that now I don't even remember what that award was that totally overlooked Dalton Kincaid didn't even have him on the John Mackey award yeah yes didn't even have him on the ballot Mm -hmm. not even on the ballot and his stats are better than the other twos to my knowledge like considerably better and he wasn't even on the ballot Mm -hmm. so then you kind of start thinking oh well he must not be that good or whatever and it took whoever I'm not sure who was kind of the first to kind of circle back and start pounding that drum but somebody had to go back and be like, huh, he should have been on that list. Uh, you would hope so, at least, yeah. You know, he, he does this, 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 and this really well. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I think, you know, he has, and that's kind of what's been coming out, Travis Kelsey-type potential. And, and again, like, these guys are all their own individual. He'll put his own style and stamp on it. But kind of of that same vein— and that's what NFL teams are kind of wanting right now from their tight ends. And he's right there. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Uh, Cam Miller kind of brought it up. He's like, he's, he, Cam said this essentially, like, if he, once he gets into the NFL, he immediately is in, at least in the top half of, if I'm not saying what he said, of in terms of pure pass catching tight ends. And that's what the NFL wants right now. Mm-hmm. They want the next George Kittle, Travis Kelsey. On down the list. The, right. These elite tight ends that completely transform an offense. And that's – Dalton Kincaid's got that's that. Dalton. Yeah. So really cool stuff. I, I, by the way, I did find Clark's numbers for you. you ready? Okay. Five foot nine. Okay. Yeah. 184 pounds. Not bad on the weight. 29 and one-eighths inches on his arms. And his hand size, nine and one-eighths inches. So – Okay. Yeah. Kind of a – Nine and one-eighth inches? Yeah. About what I would have expected. That, that checks out. So – Okay, and this is a conversation I, I I had the opportunity to fill in on Unrivaled earlier this week. And I was talking with uh, Scott Mitchell, mm-hmm. and Scott and I got on the Clark Phillips conversation. Scott's of the opinion I think I agree with him, and I we kind of brought the, we kind of came to a consensus on this. At five foot nine, Clark has excelled at playing as an outside cornerback at the college level. Mm-hmm. But Michelle, at five nine in the NFL, I'm terrified that he he, he he's going to be forced to move inside. He's going to have to play s- slot. 
The problem is, as, as Scott brought up, he's never really played slot. That's that's the problem. So what would you do with him? I, I think he ultimately does end up going inside. And okay. I mean, Utah did actually play him at nickel a few they did times. Play, they played some, yeah. Um, the, out of necessity, and he crushed it. He was good. So, I I mean, yeah, these teams might have to be a little bit patient with him as he, like, really, really gets that under under his feet, that position. But, I, I mean, Clark is a kid that's proven time and time again if he wants something bad enough, he's going to make it happen for himself. Now, they, he checked in his 40-yard dash, 4.51 seconds, not a bad number. I know a lot of people are like, you need to run. No, you don't. You just four fives, plenty fast. Yeah. 33-inch uh, vertical. I actually expected that number because dude can yeah, hop. He's got some hops. He's very yeah. athletic. Uh, 4.32 second on his 20-yard uh, shuttle, and then 18 bench press reps. At 184 pounds, at 225 pounds, that's a pretty good number. He, he's strong. Yeah. I, well, and again, not surprising if you've ever been around Clark. Yeah. Like, yes, he's he's tiny, but he's very he's very well packed in that tiny yeah. tininess. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's. I, I actually think that's a pretty good showing for Clark. I just the thing about it is I I look at him and to me I think that he is going to yeah just the size is is going to force him inside because. I just I brought up to the point I don't know who I was on with I was talking with somebody and I, we were talking about the fact like an elite wide receiver in the NFL DK Metcalf mm-hmm. like DK is like the epitome of what uh, you want an NFL wide receiver to be six four chiseled can jump out of the gym but also can run right by it right. with a four four speed that's a guy to me that Clark Phillips going one on one with will get beaten by mm-hmm. but they're going to beat everybody yeah. But Clark, as you mentioned, he packs a nice punch into a, a smaller frame where if he goes on the interior against maybe a guy who's not the same ilk as what uh, DK Metcalf is over here, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. The only problem with that is it probably pushes him in the, sec- in the second round. And I mean, that's not a bad place for Clark yeah. to be. That's not, that's not, there is no shame in going in the second it's round. It's still plenty of money you, for Yeah, us. you're still getting a lot of money. You still have the opportunity to be a starter, be a mm-hmm. star, it's it's really kind of up to you. I mean, all these guys, it's it's not about where you go. It's about what your mindset is going into it. And if you really want it, you can make it happen. Just ask Tyler Huntley. Sure. And that, that, that's the thing about this is Utah has a – we know this. It's a well-established tradition of developing high-end defensive back talent for the NFL. You just got to look around of what they've done with these with these defensive backs. And Clark is just the latest in this group. He, he yeah, he may not be the elite sized athlete, but trust me, he's gonna be a starting guy in the in an NFL defense. And the nice part is with proliferation, by the way, and this is a, a, one of the quick thought, with proliferation of those spread offenses making their way into the NFL, like the, what the Philadelphia Eagles do, mm-hmm. guess what you need? A nickel. You need a nickel back. You need a third cornerback on the field almost at all times anymore. And that's where I think Clark ultimately excels. Agreed. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Some interesting numbers across the board. Good to see. By the way, for the local guys, the numbers have checked in pretty Pretty close to what we expected. And, yes, it's been good numbers. Nothing's been like... Ooh. Yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> you haven't been like you haven't been like cringing like oh that's not it's it's actually been a pretty good yeah. good showing so, so far, far. Guys have shown out well. Uh, the other thing for Dalton, I just I hope he heals up quickly because we do want to NFL scouts want to see him go through those drills. Back fracture to play through that. 
hats off to you, sir. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, wrap up today's show. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle and Jake wrapping things up here. And, okay, uh, here's the thing. We were just talking about the, the NFL Combine and the showing. The Combine to me is kind of, uh, how do I describe this? It just it kind of makes me chuckle in a way because there are guys like DeMarie Smith, the NFLPA head who runs the players, the, the, the union for the players, who is saying that he wants the Combine to die. And he go. He, he made. He was very explicit about. It, it was actually during Super Bowl, the run up to the Super Bowl, that uh, he uh, came out and said that I. I think that it's dumb. That he has to show up. And he, what he said, they sign away all of their medical privacy rights. Sure, they have to do that. But it's also this is this is the way the NFL has decided to go about their job interview process. Mm-hmm. I was actually reading about the history of the comment. Do you know any much about the history of it? I have not heard a lot of the history behind it. So 1970, uh, it was the first time that a, a combine of sorts was put together. Okay. Uh, but before that and actually even still around that time, uh, the New York Jets, funny enough, if I recall correctly, were the first team that started bringing athletes from college to their facility and like me- medically checking them out, having them work out, that type of stuff. And they actually, during a six-year stretch, I think it was they said from the, there was a six-year stretch where more than half of the guys that the Jets had brought in on for one of those visit, visits ended up being a starter for that team. And as we all know, with the NFL and, and football in general, mm-hmm. it it's a copycat. Yeah. <laughs> so, guess what happened? Other teams started doing exactly what the Jets do and bringing guys out. The NFL realized this and said, you know what, we probably need to standardize this a little bit. They actually originally had three combines with. Each team had associations with different uh, these what they call one's called the National uh, Football Scouting is National Football Scouting Inc. Okay, and there was two other ones. Well, NFS as it's called actually now runs the NFL Combine for the NFL. They're the one they ultimately contracted and moved it to Indiana. Indiana, but the whole idea of this was actually funny. It came from like essentially it grew from one team, multiple teams copying them, and the NFL saying, "You know what we're going to do? We're going to put it all together in one big package over here." But it didn't exist for like 50 plus years since the NFL. The first 50 years, the NFL was kind of like, that player looks good at that school. Let's just bring them in. And they just kind of did it like that. But in the last 50 plus years, it's become the spectacle that it is. The the underwear Olympics, as some people call it. Yes, that that is a very popular term with the scouts, I will just say. (laughs) Uh, And several of them have told me in the past we don't understand why they need to be basically undressed in order to to do this that's always kind of my question I'm like uh, it, that's not how that's not how they actually end up playing like how about we like work them out like how they will play <laughs> yeah put some shoulder pads on them and put their helmet on because here's the thing there are dudes who are going to run really fast at the combine, but when you put pads on them and it's extra 20-ish pounds of gear, suddenly they're not necessarily as fast. And there are other guys, funny enough, who run slow mm-hmm. relative to their peers in this, but you put pads on them and suddenly they're like a cheetah out there. Yeah. And like how often in an NFL game do you run 40 yards well, ask, at okay, full speed? Offensive and defensive linemen especially. That's right. why that's why they say the ten and twenty yard splits are more important for those guys. The only thing I can think of is maybe a gunner on a punt team. Right. Well, sure. Okay. And wide receivers, for, for example, a nine route, like a go route. Right. Yeah. When you run four verts, like 
but even then, that's about it. it. Usually, it gets disrupted though. Well, you have you have you're, to. You're you're getting jammed at the line more often than yeah, not. Yeah, you you have to be able to actually do more of the side <laughs> to side than the like straight yeah. up and down. And they do like the twenty yard cone, three three cone drill and that type of stuff to try and test that. But it's such a funny thing that like. And I actually, I remember was I talking with PK about this earlier this week? Why the combine is as big as it is. I think it's just because we've just come off a really long run of having football, yeah, and we're we're just we're starved for it as a sports populace, and it's just like you know what? It's an opportunity to kind of see the next hopefully crew of stars. I mean, I've coined coined a thing that I used to do all the time. What's that? Wine and combine weekend. And I would literally sit and watch the combine with my glass of wine, and I got to do it in person in 2020. Why from, from the players' lounge, I, can... I was wine and combining, watching Zach Moss run his 40. I need to live Michelle's life. I've decided. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> I need to live your life. That's I've just decided that I need. I need to go. I don't necessarily need the wine thing. Martinelli's in Combine Weekend. I don't know. We'll figure it out. It sounds Martin like a fun Nellis. time, though. So I, I, I've always wanted to go to the Combine just to see it. It's incredible. Maybe we can talk about it next week when we have more time. We'll do that. All right. That'll do it for today's show. Any final thoughts from you? Just keep being decent, people. I, amen to that. <laughs> All right. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Christian, thanks for that. For Michelle, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.